Welcome to Thoughtspeak, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of Kay Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell. And we are back. How many episodes have started out with that sentence? Uh, like every one, I think. <laughs> All 43 of them, to my knowledge. Even the uh, first I one. I want to thank everybody. I want to thank everybody for being patient with us. Uh, believe me when I say that there have been some life events on both of our sides uh, since the last episode. So we'll have some exciting news down the road. Uh, but for now, just know that we missed you guys. Personally, I missed all of you. You're you're not just our listeners. I feel like we're all friends at this point. Hey, you know what? I, I know that we could be if we ever uh, got back to organizing our, our big Patreon subscribers Animorphs chat, uh, which I promise... I promise, folks, we will get to in the future. But first, we should really thank our Patreon subscribers. I would love to thank our Patreon subscribers who have gone to www.patreon.com slash thoughtspeak and just help support the show. This is why uh, this is how we are able to uh, do it. And hopefully it'll lead to us to have a way better schedule than we have in the past. And uh, it really means a lot to us that somebody uh, would help us out so that we can keep doing the show and keep talking to you guys. But I'm going to go right in and thank everybody real quick. Uh, we've got Sundown, Sorrent Joyce, Michael Blumecki, uh, Nita Labrada Gaffaro, Daniel Martinoli, Noah Troutman, Tony Pazak, Grace, Kevin Kozlowski, Kendra, Tim Aheen, James Miola, Jennifer Baker, Ben Freeman, Jack Hunter, Good old Spencer, John Maz, Jason Thompson, Monica Huang, and David C. Wow, that really sounds like that's the first time I read them and not a trial run after a bad audio problem. Absolutely, my friend. You nailed it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you to all those people for uh, making the show possible. And uh, once again, you know, once once our uh, drastic and, and hectic life schedules die down a bit, we will get back on organizing that Animorphs chat that uh, we all so enjoy. Yeah, I had a really good time in the first couple that we did. Um, but again, you can if you want to be a part of that, if you want to join the Yurk Empire and, and pick your tier of helping us out, uh, just go to patreon.com slash thoughtspeak. And we, we'd love to see you there, and we'd, we'd love to mess up your name at the beginning of the show. Heck yeah, looking um, forward to some new it. ones. Exactly. Uh, without further ado, though, we have got to start talking about the weakness. Uh, we are knee-deep in the ghost-written portion of the Animorphs books, and I would say that we both think this one is very special, very very near and dear to our hearts. Oh, uh, it's, it's, a u- it's a unique little gemstone amongst the series, uh, that is for sure. Um, you know, since, since the Animorphs started... Uh, the question all the fans have been asking, really, is how is this Earth invasion uh, going to conclude? You know, what's going to be the end game here? And 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 to that end, this book uh, doesn't contribute a whole heck of a lot. <laughs> uh, that's right. Okay, we are talking book number thirty-seven, the weakness here. And uh, as we normally do with these things, um, we we start off by reading the back. Or, or talking about the cover. I'm not even sure at this point what we do first. Anymore. We will let's 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 mix it up. <laughs> we will discuss the front and the cover, talk about the inside cover, then read the back. 
You wanna? I mean, for this book, I think it just makes sense to read the back and give them the setup and then discuss the cover. How do you talk about the cover without talking well, about I mean, I, I almost the animal and, I was, and, and why it's relevant? I almost don't want to read the back at all because if you think about it, the back just spoils the entire book. I mean, it's just crazy. I I would dis I'd humbly disagree with you there. But, uh, you, could, you could heartily disagree, and you'd be correct. <laughs> the The back of the book is kind of a moot point, other than uh, what's going on here. I don't know, man. I'm gonna read the back of the I book. Will, I think. Hold on. I will go as far to say the back summary of this book is as important as the tagline on the front usually is. <laughs> okay, sure. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, so here it goes. Uh, when Jake has to leave town for a family thing, the the other Animorphs and Axe figure life will pretty much be normal until he gets back. But when Tobias discovers Visitor 3's newest feeding place, the kids decide they have to check it out. But there's no assigned leader. Now, Rachel, Tobias, Cassie, Marco, and Axe have another problem. Who will be the best one for the job? Because being in charge isn't just guts and glory. It's about making decisions that will mean the difference between life, dot, 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 and death. Okay. Well, Pr- pretty straightforward problem, there. Well, first problem <laughs> with this book. First problem with this book. Only, uh, only three dots on the back of the book. The entire series has done four dots for no reason. It's angered me throughout the entire series. And for some reason... I think I'm even more angry that this one just goes back to three dots for no reason. I don't know, dude. I think it's playing with your head. I, I think they've they've switched back and the, forth between three dots and four dots, depending no, on what it's cover been, it's, it's on. been four. It's been four this entire time because it's now become an inside joke with me and the things I write at work uh, that nobody else knows about. And this is actually really sad uh, where I do four dots instead of three because of this podcast. Wow. Watch out. We got a badass over here, ladies and gentlemen. I'd also like to say it's always been three dots in the uh, the upper um, thing that's always the same that we never read. <laughs> you know, that we can't tell you who we are. Are you or where sure? We yeah, always been three up there. But no, I like your suggestion. Let's get into this cover. There's, there's a lot to... Yeah. To really, really take in here. First of all, I do, I do want to say, of all the things this cover does, the logo's kind of cool with the the gold uh, background with the white animorphs the logo. Yeah, uh, and I will, I will give it up. I made a joke about the taglines. This is actually, I wish all the taglines were like this. This just, you know, sets up the book without having to read the summary. Even Jake's sure. not around. Who will take his place? That makes me want to read the book. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly uh, what these these taglines should have done was uh, have it be like a fundamental question about, you know, the the, the story of that book. Um, but yeah. instead, they're usually like, how will you change your face if you can't even change your clothes? Think about that. <laughs> they, they all have sounded strangely uh, a lot like uh, Jaden Smith tweets, to be sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but on this great. cover, we've got we've got classic '90s Rachel, like late '90s, because she's wearing a baggy red T-shirt, which makes absolutely no sense uh, given the plot and and you know what they <laughs> are capable of morphing, and her baggy jeans on, and on a, uh, shoes. I want to skip talking about 
I want to skip talking about the front. Although I will say that um, maybe they shouldn't have used Cheetah Morph as the main morph. I know it makes sense, but um, I feel like we've had too many Jaguars and like spotted big cats as covers. So a Cheetah just kind of like melds in with that. Um, yeah, oh, it's, but I it's want to jump immediately. Into, I want to jump into the inside cover because the inside cover is actually, I think, pretty glorious. Um, are you looking at it right now? Oh, I'm staring at it, my friend, and it is, it's just a cluster fudge of ideas. Okay. <laughs> Hold on, let me, let me describe this real quick. Okay, so you got, uh, basically, uh, old concept art for Axe hanging out in the background. Okay, uh, meant, to be, like meant to be, meant to be any way he's been depicted. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, instead we got concept art for Axe. Then you got Tobias, again, <laughs> not looking like, like, going out of their way to look like a, like a hawk not in flight. It's, oh, yeah, um, it's, a, it's definitely but, a picture. I think it's the same picture they've used of Tobias, like for his uh, page morphs and stuff in the past. And yeah, yeah. very much so you copy got, and you pasted got, into the picture. <laughs> you've got him falling sideways towards Visor 3 um, <laughs> for no reason. Uh, and then you have the Animorphs, you know, with all their strategy and experience they have at this point in the book series. Uh, frolicking and playing with each other in the foreground, um, not even facing Visitor Three in any in any one of like not a single one of them is actually like poised to do anything to Visitor Three. No, I'm pretty they're... sure Cassie's like laying down. Look, no, 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 look, look at Cassie. I'm assuming it's Cassie. How do you, I yeah? Know. I was gonna say, how but, do you uh... know it's Cassie? The one that's like really low in the grass and pointing away for like giving away their location, basically. <laughs> No, 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 that's not the one I'm looking at. I, I'm going to say that's like, um, that's Axe, okay? Rachel's the one in the foreground because she's the main one. Uh, I'm saying Marco's the one actually behind a rock because he's smart. Cassie's the one, like, not even in attack position, ears up, like, laying down. That's literally a shield laying down. She's not getting ready to attack or anything. Um, okay, yeah, well, just, I... Just horrible. It's evident that not a lot of thought went into this other than, uh, you know, they, they read a brief summary of the first chapter or, or whatever and Photoshop something together. Um, but I, I don't guess, understand, like, the like why are you putting... Like, okay, you could have had, like, this great image of, like, all four cheetahs, like, maybe we're just, like, looking over their shoulder and they're crouched in the grass and we're looking past them at an animal feeding in a field. Like, that would have done it right there could have been a dynamic foreground image mixed with a background image whatever but instead like they literally put cheetahs like running in five different directions like wildly out in the open <laughs> yeah i don't know man uh, I, honestly don't I, get it. I i i think it's best not to dwell on the inconsistencies and and <laughs> just straight up tomfoolery that these things depict okay i'm dwelling yeah so that, um, that's uh, anyway, but we can actually move into the book. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. And, and now that I've read the, uh, the back of the book, I feel like I've, I've done everything I needed to, to set up this, this first chapter. I mean, because it's all there. The story wastes literally no time getting into all that stuff from the back cover. I mean, all, all, all we know is that Jake's gone and, uh, Rachel's kind of goading everyone on to, uh, to, pursue this visitor three plan because of uh, uh tobias overhearing about this <laughs> uh feeding ground yeah i mean i'm all for like jumping right into the action 
several of the books so far have done that where you just like are dumped into the middle of a battle or the end of a battle where they're escaping or like like that's that's great storytelling this doesn't do that this basically sets up an entire book's worth of material in the first 10 pages and executes it and then moves on to an entirely other book where they take the time to tell the story um it's crazy. I mean, they, they talk about going to the gardens. They don't even explain why Jake is gone. They just, he's, he's like a family thing. Like we don't even get a scene of him, like jumping in a taxi or getting in the family minivan or like anything. No. And you know what? We've actually seen something similar to this plot line before in the, uh, the, the previous book where Jake has to, uh, leave town for the death of his grandpa and, uh, Tom can't go or else he's going to wig out and kill his family. And uh, they explain this that that away really easily by saying, you know, Tom didn't have to go to this thing. Well, yeah, it's it's funny because it, honestly, just reading this book, there's so many mentions of like the last ten books in the series that I almost think there's something in like the Ghostwriters contract where they have to read at least like the last five or six books or something because they're not only there's material like pulled from them like the community center. Um, You've got, like, referencing uh, Jake's family having to go out of town and how they don't have to do the kill dad thing this time. Like, there's so many other references to recent books. It's uh, it's crazy. It, See, it actually like, really surprised me. I'd like to think that they gave the ghostwriters uh, somewhere in their notes, you know, like a big bullet point of... Uh, uh, sheets for each character about you know feats that they've accomplished or or things that they can reference that they've done in the past or you know things that might be on the character's mind um and they're just kind of hitting those bullet points uh for references because there's a few yeah but instead of instead of though like using that knowledge to set up like a connected marvel-esque universe or something with these furthering books um it just awkwardly references them and like calls back to them it doesn't use that information to make something new. Sure. With, uh, which, for young Mitchell reading these things, uh, it was probably still really cool to hear them talk about things that happened in a book that I might have read. Um, but, you know, adult Mitchell at, at this point wants a little bit more out of these <laughs> references. See, young Coleman, young Coleman was already used to that because of the uh, connected Godzilla films he grew up on. And was not impressed uh, with this. Oh, well, young Coleman's full of crap and everyone knows it. <laughs> <laughs> Screw young Coleman. So, yeah, like we said, the, the whole summary of what happens uh, uh, here at the beginning is, is mentioned in the, the back of the book where they acquired cheetahs because Rachel's like, oh, yeah, guys, we got to do this. We got to go get Visitor 3. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll acquire cheetahs because they're fast. And uh, we'll sneak attack him. And uh, they, they, they do it. And they almost get away with it, you know, if it weren't for this meddling uh, Monster of the Week-esque character called the Garatron. Inspector Garatron, in fact. <laughs> uh, which we're going to have a, a big discussion about, I'm sure. Because uh, there's a lot to, to talk about with this, this thing that kind of comes in yeah. at the last moment and changes the course of the battle. Cause it, it was almost seeming like maybe they could take visitor three down. Like his heart, guards were like kind of coming in, but they really made it seem like this, uh, uh, Garatron arrived on the scene and sort of saved visitor three. Right. Would you say? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it was, they set it up. And it was, uh, the action right here was actually really cool. I thought it was well written how, like, they were coming at him from different angles. And uh, even though there wasn't a lot of planning, uh, the actual, like, how they were going to take him down seemed to be thought out pretty well. And it was an exciting, like, action scene. And then the Garrison really came in and kind of ruined it. I mean, he's just, <laughs> he broke it up. Like, I would have loved to see uh, Visitor 3 maybe be one step ahead of them, or he's such a trained warrior, he, he you can't take him down that easily. And uh, instead we got um, the Tasmanian yeah, or maybe, Devil. Maybe, maybe Visitor 3 could have used a morph. <laughs> I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Um, but right, right. Uh, this, this character this garatron is such a weird weird being the way it's described which i think is is either just poorly described or it's you know it, it it's described as a cartoon like a tasmanian devil whirlwind-esque cartoon right well it's weird is that it's like um it's like this ghostwriter saw a picture of an andalite and then try to make like a Sonic the Hedgehog version of it. Like, oh, he's fast, so his you know his his head is like elongated like a bike helmet because that's like aerodynamically good, right? Um, and he, and and he didn't they, have they, the the tail. It didn't have the trademark Andalite tail. Yeah, it just had some long like whip like tail or something. But the the weird thing is they they reference how much it looks like an Andalite to an extent. Um, but that doesn't go anywhere. Like it doesn't like lead back to anything or make some point at the end. It's just, they, it's like they didn't want to make up a new alien creature. So they just took one they already had and just made it fast and like Laffy Taffy. Yeah. I don't, I, it seems like they were kind of stretching for, for monster of the week ideas, um, here because it's almost an overpowered sort of alien just because of its speed. Um, but you know it's it's very uninspired, I guess, to say it's like ah, it's kind of a genetic offshoot of the Andalites, and and by the way, it's a little overpowered with its uh, uh, speeding ability and its annoying ability to mash its sentences together in print. <laughs> that was a fun little. It's treat, also like a little word yeah, game. And it, it's also annoying because you basically it almost feels like this should have been a Megamorphs book. Um, to an extent where you introduce this super creature, which legitimately could have a profound impact on the universe and the invasion of Earth and the Animorphs even being able to deal with, you know, fighting the Yurks. Because they, they said this is like, a, I don't think they went into visitor mode and they used the term class five species, but they made it seem like there was a whole planet of these things. And this is just the first uh, one taken over by Yurk. And I didn't take that as like visitor three's usual. Like, here's a morph I found on the third moon of Anaraxes, blah, blah, blah. Like, I took it as, like, this was a big story point. We just found a whole new planet that has, like, these great uh, hosts, and this is going to vastly change the story. Yeah, and right. you read a little further, you read a little further, and you realize, like you said, it's just Monster of the Week. The, yeah, exactly. The, this seems like it should be a lot more relevant. And I will say that uh, in the wake of the events of Vizzer, um, they could have had a really cool idea here with, yeah, like you said, like this this rare species kind of uh, coming in and doing the job of being an inspector and watching Vizzer 3 and like evaluating how he uh, handled battling the Andalite bandits. Um, however, we don't, we don't really get that. It, they, they kind of delegate it more to a, a sort of rivalry one-off story between this character and Visitor 3. Man, 
you know what would have been really interesting? Um, if they had introduced a species like this that was way better hosts, and like this was towards the end of the series, and instead of this open warfare like we got, um, which is awesome, and the end of the book series is amazing, but if we had gotten this other species that were better hosts than humans, which the Yerks finally decided, like, okay, we're not doing super great on the human front, let's just abandon them and go to this other series or go to this other host uh, planet and the animorphs have to feel like, Oh, okay. We're, we won, but the Yerks are still out there and they're even more of a threat to the Andalites. And you could have the whole story flipped on its end where the animorphs then had to travel to this other planet. And you know, they were the Andalites coming to save another race. That would have been a really interesting way for the story to go. Uh, yeah. Well, and then that, they, that would have changed the series pretty fundamentally. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, same as I, bad thing. Hey, I want that book, buddy. I, I will say it. Can I get a I want that book? Because I want that book. Uh, yeah, you got it. <laughs> it just feels good to say that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's kind of really the whole the the wrench in the system that the the back of the book doesn't give away necessarily is that uh, there's a there's a, a B plot we'll say. With uh, Inspector, Inspector Garatron, which sounds like a very made up sci-fi, like on the, you know, made up on the fly sort of name. The it's like shoving Inspector Gadget and Transformers together. That, Inspector that or the, uh, the, the ghostwriter had a big list of fantasy-esque sounding names that they've been compiling. Sometimes when you're a writer, you'll, <laughs> you'll just do these dummy files of like names you think sound cool. And they pulled it off of that. Uh, yeah, I, I could see that. But anyway, yeah. The Rogiculons. Inspector Garatron shows up, bundles the whole operation, and everyone kind of has to bail. Uh, Cheetah, Cheetah Morph doesn't work, and I guess they they all are scarred from using it because it's not relevant to the series or the story ever again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does come back in that um, some of the uh spoilers for future books uh the auxiliary animorphs don't they use cheetah morphs because they really like them like some of the ones who can't walk oh uh, it's possible it's it's been a while since i've read that one and you haven't read that one so how are you even making that (laughs) reference well because i i haven't so the last book of the series not the last book but 52 or whatever the one where they uh yeah um, there's a very traumatic point where one of the auxiliary animorphs is in cheetah mode and he's uh, draconed and gets killed. And they, for some reason, the animorphs are talking about it later and they talk about how they, like, one of the ones couldn't walk and that was his favorite morph. Oh, well, I, I might be making that up. That's very sure. possible, but I'm not going to make future speculation unless I'm certain. I don't know. But uh, I I, that's a cool memory, bro. I hope it comes true and I hope that little kid dies as a cheetah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it does. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, but uh, that—that's kind of like when you're reading the book, you're like, okay, now where's this, you know, gonna go? Where's the story going from here? Now that we've already got through everything, I literally was told about this book, right? Yeah. <laughs> everything that got me to pick it up uh, from Walden Books has now passed, <laughs> um, and I'm left wondering what's going on. Uh, Although this next part, this is really interesting because so Rachel, they go back. Uh, and they, Rachel gets really excited about the idea of uh, them doing these like guerrilla attacks and like making Visor Three look bad 
in front of this inspector who's here to kind of evaluate him and the invasion of Earth. Oh, yeah, it's um, definitely her, it, her thought, her plan. And <laughs> not everybody and it's else interesting. is on board. As a story, though, it's interesting. Like, uh, even this, even though we're going to go into what we didn't like about this part, um, the idea is really cool and it's actually a big move forward with Animorphs where we're not infiltrating. We're not scoping places out. They're just wrecking stuff and being very open about it to the point where it's making like the news and uh, it's all over the place and people are talking about it. So that's that's a step forward in uh, the book series. Yeah, man, I've I've inquired about this uh, in past books, and um, really, what we've seen is the animorphs kind of, um, like you said, infiltrating and and reacting to the Yerks' various you know plots. Um, but this is a book where. Uh, the Animorphs are very much going out and picking fights and attacking. And I've always wondered what that could look like. And um, this unfortunately doesn't give us the, the best results, um, be that, you know, what the, the team actually does and as uh, it affects my enjoyment as a reader, we'll say. Um, so yeah, like you said, Rachel's uh, very excited about the idea of of going out and hitting the Yerks uh, where they, they know the controllers are and basically trying to make Visitor 3 look really, really bad in front of this inspector guy. Um, so they, they, they want to go wreck their shit. And uh, before they, they decide on doing that, though, they, they have to make a formal like pitch and vote for their temporary leader because Jake is gone. Um, and, you know, it, it really just comes down to the fact that Rachel's the only one who actually wants the job. Um, Marco tries to argue against her being leader, um, but but he even he bows out to her in the end. And um, this is just something where as a reader, when I, when I was reading this, I thought, man, this just doesn't feel right. This, this doesn't seem like the guys I know, the, the smart team that we've uh, been with thus far. Um, I'd like to think that Cassie or Tobias would try and talk her out of something like this. Um, it, it just seems like everybody kind of goes along with Rachel's ideas here. Uh, in absence of Jake, um, and, and yeah, you know, you know how like they're weaker in his his absence. Yeah, you know how this actually could have made sense within the because I agree with you 100. Like one of the biggest problems I have with this book is how people are acting, and I've had issues with that in the past. But I have one big one that's I'm probably gonna bring up my review for this one. But um, one thing that really could have made sense and had everybody be talked into this idea is if they had switched the sides within the argument. If you had had Rachel present this idea, and it's crazy, and it's boisterous, and it's all action-packed, and it that does seem like her for the most part, uh, if you would have had Cassie and Tobias fighting against it and being very adamant about it, but then Marco actually thinking, because he just sees that straight line of, like, from A to B, like, what, what we can do to make accomplish B and make B happen. Um, Marco being very pragmatic about it and actually joining Rachel and being like, I know I'm... I'm going to call myself crazy, but I actually agree with Rachel. This is a really good plan because the plan itself does make sense. So if you had had Marco fighting for her, that would have made Tobias and Cassie doubt themselves because Marco usually is on the right side of those kind of debates and maybe join up with her. But they did the complete opposite. Absolutely. That would have been a much more interesting plot idea than watching Rachel suck and fail at being a leader uh, would have been, like you said, starting it out with uh, Marco and Rachel kind of combining uh, 
uh, uh, Marco's intelligence with, uh, you know, Rachel's ideas, um, and, and having that little power struggle between the two, um, would have been made for a much more interesting read. Um, but Marco kind of bows out right away to her, um, and, and decides to just let her tell them what they're going to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they got, they, they wanted to get to this plot quickly and this is how they accomplished it. Sure. And this Rachel in charge, you know, book bot. <laughs> this is where, this is where you start to go. Okay. All right. Now the book's going to show us like, how, how's Rachel going to do as a leader? And, uh, you were mentioning how like characters are written and stuff. And, um, I'm, I'm sure what you're thinking is what I'm thinking. I don't know. And, I don't know how we can progress without just talking about how Rachel herself acts in this book compared to okay. what we've seen from her in the past, because this is, this is like the, the Rachel from the separation, like the bad one got yeah, okay. in this book. So I, I, would, <laughs> I won't wait for my review then. I was honestly waiting for the plot point later in this book that revealed that something was wrong with her. Like, that's how out of place she was. It wasn't like other books that I've talked about, like, these don't feel like the Animorphs we know and love. Like, this honestly felt like there was going to be a big reveal that this was, like, a clone of Rachel or, like, she'd been separated again or, you know, something. Cause it, it was so cheesily dumb and bad. No, you know like what? Like, it was making... They're, they're, it, it seems like they're almost foreshadowing, uh, like some kind of evil or darkness within Rachel, you know, because we've had, <laughs> we've had Krayak in the past, uh, or the Drode specifically, you know, try and convince Rachel like, Oh, betray Jake, betray the leader. You know, there's evil within you. There's a darkness, uh, unleash your but, anger, you know? But here's uh, the problem with that. I, I get what you're saying. You're right. You're hundred percent right. in that that book is coming where she has to make the decision. But the great thing about that book, and I will actually defend that book hardcore. The great thing about that book is it's all about the Drode trying to convince her of what's not true. And so in this book, you could have had, you know, the Rachel we know is a genuinely good person who is just rash and quick to anger and quick to fight. Like, that's who she is. And she's not an idiot by any means. Like this yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> other books other books will make a point of her thinking that she's a bad person just because she does enjoy the fight and just because she is quick to, you know, jump into battle. But that's that's a completely different thing than what this book is showing, which is that she this book literally makes her out to be a genuinely horrible person. Well, like just it's, a, it's literally... a power hungry conniving sort of version of Rachel almost. Yeah, she's like the worm tongue from Lord of the Rings version of Rachel in this. Like, how can I get power? Like, she's even, there's literally conversations with herself in this book of how she can uh, gain the leadership and get power over the other Animorphs, but she's got to play it right or they'll catch me. Like, she could have been infested with a uh, yerk in this book and it would have made way more sense than the Rachel we got. Totally. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know uh, what... I, I think maybe the ghostwriter wasn't able to portray the author's overall intent with Rachel's character. Um, that, or maybe they just had nailed down exactly what her character arc was going to end up being um, at this point. 
but well, this, they could this have Rachel also feels think about this. vastly inferior to what we've seen in the past. Think about this. Think of if you were a ghostwriter on the Animorphs in the you know late 90s or whatever, and you were told, hey, you're going to write this Rachel book. You should check out some of the other books or, or this cheat sheet we've made to, uh, to really get her character. What if you only read other kids' perspectives? So if you read a Jake book or a Marco book or a Cassie book where Rachel, especially in the last... I would say like five to seven books, Rachel has been very much like a side character, like very sidelined where she's just pop up there when she's convenient and she doesn't really add anything. She probably does seem like the psychopath in waiting, you know? Yeah. They're really not doing any favors um, for her overarching plot uh, this point and establishing any character depth other than uh, this is the psychotic girl that's in love with the bird. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would like to mention Briefly, on uh, page 27, since I'm looking at it, if you're uh, looking at home, you can check that page too. Cassie does make a mention. This is when they were voting, I think, for uh, the leader of the gang. The leader of the pack. Um, Cassie mentions, you know, when when she says Cassie can be in charge, she says, uh, no thanks, brain surgery, okay. Secret rescue missions to the Yerk Pool, when I have to, but not this kind of thing. Not rapid-fire attacks. So they've already agreed to Rachel's plan at that point, by the way, when they're deciding on the leader of the thing. Yeah, but this is what I was talking about when I said, like, this book just randomly references other books. They even do that later when they're like, hey, Cassie had to go in the Yurk pool by herself one time. Well, that was because of a certain situation. Like, they just sure. randomly throw out these references. Well, and then when they're when when Marco's like maybe I should be the leader, uh, uh, Rachel's excuse is you've got a Hamlet complex, Marco. Like, like his mom is gonna trip him up on this mission unless she randomly <laughs> shows up somehow. <laughs> to be fair, she could have also meant his uncle. Um, sure, but, there you go, there you go. He's been a big big issue this season. <laughs> yeah, just busting out these Shakespearean quandaries. You know, it's like what's the what are you saying here? <laughs> hundred percent. Um, oh, okay. So while we're talking about Rachel and just how she doesn't act like herself, um, here's a quote from her that, uh, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's something that stuck out to me as I was reading this thing. Um, no matter how horrible things get, that's the deal. People want their leaders to be larger than life. Perfect. Not subject to human frailty and weakness. God's. People want their leaders to act the way they wish they could act themselves, Jake always said. Totally confident, completely brave, not afraid, never confused, never worried. Boom. Yeah, I I loved that book that we read where Jake and Rachel just had this like super philosophical conversation on leadership and what he has to go through on a day-to-day basis. You remember that book, guys? Guys? Um, I, I, I want that book. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd like a memoir of just Jake's thoughts on leadership. I would read that. It'd be pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, any users, uh, this is where we get into the quote unquote fun portion of the book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so their, their plan roughly is to, uh, hit, hit the streets where they know, the controllers are and and just generally be menaces to Yerk society. And uh, I, I mean, they start straight out with a TV station where they know that two of the anchors are 
a big yurks and there's probably more of them there and um yeah they just charge in you know with the standard battle morphs that they always use um another dumb kind of plot point of this book is that she decides to use that the same battle morphs throughout all of this shit that they're about to wreck and then at the very last mission decides to change to a completely irrational choice that we'll get into when it comes um but yeah they they, they go and, to and of course station. you've got the you've got the setup of like well why don't we scout the place first we don't have time to scout you know we're going um, in we're hitting it hard and that I, goes to you know the the tour groups that's there and what plot side plot that's setting up well, remember they, dark, they've been actually, to this. But... They've been to this TV station now. At this point, uh, back in uh, book twelve, the reaction uh, when she burped the croc. Yeah, but I'm saying um, they they set up the side plot with the tour group. Is, is what I was trying to point out. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's that's this... the most relevant thing about this scene. I would say is that uh, the very first place they go on on Rachel's big bright bright scheme. Um, they, they do frighten a tour group that happens to be there looking at the studio and as they're making their way, uh, downtown walking fast faces passing their homebound, <laughs> um, Tobias points out that he saw an old guy that was in the tour group fall over and he wasn't sure if he like maybe had a heart attack or something. It's kind of foreshadowed that of course he did. And Rachel, of course, is very defiant and in and, and denial. And is Maybe like, whatever, the, 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 the mission was a big success. I call our first act of terrorism a big success. And uh, yeah. they, they move on, so to speak. Um, and then they go to a bookstore and, you know, there's a little scene of, again, them trashing the place because they know that the Yerk, there's a, a manager or the manager, there's a Yerk. And, um, oh, we forgot to mention that Rachel kind of, like, taunts the, uh, the Yurks at each place they go and gives them these, like, tough guy messages of, like, move on, Yurk, dweeb, get out of our lunch table, nerd. No, 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 okay, so, (laughs) I know this was supposed to be, like, kind of a cringy, like, even within the story of the book, but it was actually, I thought it was kind of badass when she was like, you're not welcome anymore, go home, pass that on. And like they kept doing, like honestly, I I thought I thought that was actually kind of cool. Sure, you know what? That part of it might might have been a little cool. Um, I I will say though that as as these scenes go on and they continue to wreck places, um, they they visit a couple different locations that we'll breeze through here. Um, but they the team like has casual quips between themselves, or you're never really sure like who they're quipping to, you know, they don't the mention tone. if it's, if it's private thought speak between the team or if they're actually talking to the people. Um, they, no, they, there were, course... there were several times, there were several times that they were definitely talking to the Yerks and like making jokes to the Yerks. Uh, that, that definitely happened. And it, it that... really made this seem all over the place. Yeah. And, and it goes back to just, uh, the overall feeling that these characters, all of them are not acting the way that uh, uh, the characters we know and and have stuck with so far would normally act. They are much dumber. Um, yeah. For for the sake and, of this plot, I would say. And one more thing about this, like eighties montage they're doing. Um, this part of the book is literally incoherent. I was I had to reread pages 
because of how it just jumps around and doesn't establish anything about the new place. And I get they were going for, but there's a reason that there's an established way of how to write a montage in book form. And this tried to basically describe it like a, like a movie script would. Uh, sure. It, even it, a movie was, script lays out bullet points. <laughs> yeah, it was like a paragraph or two for each location they visit, something like that. At, it's very jarring, to say the least. But after hitting up uh, uh, the bookstore, they they go to a place called Stylerific, which is uh, a beauty salon or something that, that Mrs. Chapman is a client and co-owner of. And... Um, you know, they, they attack that place, do the same thing, kind of over and over again, same morphs, all that, and uh, deliver their little message. And uh, Rachel's feeling real good about herself right now for for <laughs> breaking into these uh, public places where they're just human controllers um, and, and kind of terrorizing them. She's even feeling like she could uh, replace Jake at this point, like way, I think, going to her head there. You know, yeah, I almost wanted this to be like, uh, like Jake is actually he didn't go out of town. He's just watching and seeing what they do when he's not there. In fact, he just like comes out. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, it'd be great if he was like evaluating her or whatever. But let me read you this quote that made me believe that they were like foreshadowing some ominous dark Rachel sort of plot line. Okay, Um, it's on page 50. Um, Okay. This is, this is her thinking about, like, uh, I'll just start from, like, this Marco quote, because Marco kind of quips after their, their little submission here. He says, yeah, well, we didn't have the mighty warrior princess in charge before, Marco said. I heard the tone of sarcasm, but I didn't care. That's right, I thought, but now I am in charge, and now the Yerks are going to pay. Jake would be proud of me when he got back, or maybe a little jealous, maybe even a lot jealous. That was okay, too. Things changed. People changed. Situations changed. Jake had been the leader for a long time. Maybe it was time he took a well-deserved rest. Like, what the hell, Rachel? Dark, sinister, power-hungry. What what happened to you? (laughs) And that would all be fine, because obviously the books do take that route, and we get an exploration of uh, that side of her. But this this is not how you set that up with an established character. We've spent over... 30 odd books with you know you, you can have a believable transition this is this is going straight from anakin to darth vader without any fight with mace windu or killing younglings all right you gotta have that you gotta have a couple scenes to to get us comfortable with this <laughs> no totally uh rachel comes off again as uh whiny and arrogant and uh just overconfident in what she thinks is a, a bright idea here. Um, and I don't know if that's the point. I don't know if the authors at this point want us to not specifically think of Rachel as a good, smart character. Um, maybe they just want us to, to think of her as the dumb bruiser of the team, you know, and that's her delegated role. She's the goon. Which is sad. She's their goon. Which is, <laughs> it's sad because the, if you go back to the beginning of the series, those first 12 or so books, uh, Kay Applegate goes out of her way to make sure that Rachel doesn't come off as the dumb blonde of the group. Like, literally, it's it's a part of her character that that's what everybody assumes she is, but she's not. And, uh, yeah, this book, this book really sets that back. Yeah, that would be a great question to shoot her in our next interview with uh, Kay Applegate. Uh, so, 
Why didn't you guys realize you were screwing up Rachel's character? <laughs> because they were interested in the next book series they were writing, obviously. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they did uh, uh, lose some of their character identities in writing so many different personalities at one time. You think? No, Something no. Like honestly, that? I think it's a matter of. I think it's a matter of. Um, they wrote as much of the Animorphs as they could, and then they were really beating themselves up on the idea that they couldn't come up with new storylines. Like they, you can every interview they've done, they talk about how they just were out of ideas. And I think they knew Animorphs was this colossal hit, and they thought they had already made their imprint on it, and that they could pass it off to these ghostwriters to an extent. They still like finished off manuscripts, and like I'm sure they really cared about the story ideas and stuff like that. But yeah, they had their napkin they, of ideas. But they were already, in my mind, they were already getting excited about their side projects and this other book series they were writing and what else they wanted to do since they had this big hit on their hands. And Animorphs suffered a little bit. It, it got written by other people who had their own agendas and their own thoughts, and it wasn't as closely watched as maybe it should have been. Right. And, you know, it just happens to be that the series as a whole is in this, like, if it were a TV show, it'd be like that season five slump where they're like, okay, we're going to do the uh, the plot lines that we've knocked to the bottom of all of our stacks now just to kind of burn some and of them off. It's disappointing, too, because here's you see this happens with like authors and uh, actors and uh, anyone in the creative fields. Like Kay Applegate is now a, a major award winning author with uh other all the other books she's written and uh what's the ivan book the um the oh, one read yeah uh uh i am ivan or it's been so long i'm sorry i forgot yeah but but she's she's won some major writing awards now but i, I unless she does something you know massive soon um in my mind Animorphs is what Kay Applegate will be remembered for. Like, this is what she's most closely associated with. This is what everybody remembers her for. And so many artists are in the series that they're going to be remembered for, but they don't want to be. Like, look at, uh, like, William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy in, like, the original Star Trek series. They, for years, they hated Star Trek and anything to do with Star Trek because that's all anyone wanted to talk about. And like later in their lifespans, they they embraced it because they knew that that's what their legacy was going to be, and so it really like I think the Applegates were in the middle of writing their legacy, but were so excited about other things they had going on, they had no idea that this was going to be the main thing they're known for. You yeah, know? totally, a hundred percent. You don't see it when you're in it. Although it it enjoyed some popularity there for a, a time, a spell. Um, like, I, th I think maybe this is the point where a lot of readers uh, that had started out with it, you know, in, in grade school, in third, fourth, fifth grade, um, a lot of those early on readers had maybe moved on to high school and different book series and stuff and uh, forgot about this. Because this is probably the point, uh, well, well before this was where even I had lost interest in Animorphs for a couple of years. I didn't I didn't even go back and revisit the series ending proper until years later so yeah who knows if things like this contributed to that maybe uh the point is we're in the middle of this weird montage sort of middle chunk of the book where the the animorphs uh under rachel's lead are running around as greasers or punks and picking fights mm -hmm. with uh your controllers 
And after hitting up uh, Mrs. Chapman and delivering their little get out of town, yerk message, um, they they go and uh, hit up a bank and then they see like Mr. Chapman walking around randomly. See, they, they definitely pulled uh, side characters as well from some file or something. They're like, okay, and here's Mrs. Yeah. Chapman. And now Mr. Chapman here. This, this whole uh, book they follow is a him book into of hits. A, <laughs> right. It's recycled uh, plot elements all mashed into one. Um, it's and, like and, that uh, It's like that sitcom episode towards the end of the season where they just flash back to all the other episodes that season, do a recap. Yeah, something like that. And then there's, there, there's even more places that they hit up after this. So what we'd read just now was like a detailed account of their attacks. Now in the, the book begins this like weird montage sort of very, very jarring cuts of them going around and bullying all the other controllers, like uh, uh, where it's every other sentence is a new location. Um, but the point is after this big montage, and this is the point where the book had kind of sold me on this premise of, okay, this is what their what Rachel's big idea is. How is this going to, end up screwing up and how will it be resolved? Is Jake going to have to come in and, and like solve everything for her? Is that going to be how this book ends? Um, that would have actually been interesting if he came in as like a deus ex machina. I'm surprised yeah, totally. they didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, and that was one of my questions here and, and I, I had a lot of questions about where this was going but I got to honestly say this is the point in the book. When I started reading this next chunk this is where I stopped having fun with the plot and caring so to speak. Um, and I was yeah. more like, okay, I don't know what this is trying to do. Maybe I'll figure it out when it's over. And, uh, this, ha- this is where we see Rachel. Um, she's super cocky and confident now. Um, she's like, okay, we got, we got one last big job. Um, I want to hit up that, that new community center that, uh, debuted a couple books ago. You know, the one where Tobias was of course, uh, voluntarily captured and tortured all for a good mission cause. Yeah. That Let's one. go back there. <laughs> totally. Um, the key difference here though, uh, being that, um, this is, this is not like a public place where, where regular human civilians are mixing in with the Yurk controllers. This is a heavily guarded Yurk base and Yurk pool entrance, um, that they have, you know, and tried even- to mess with in the past. Not only have they tried to mess with in the past and had pretty bad results there, but they even talk about how successful their plan has been. Like, there's no reason to do this. Even as, like, a big finale, they could have hit so many other places. Right, yeah. Even if they wanted to make references to other books, there's different locations they could have pulled from, but whatever. Um, the location's not so relevant, or it doesn't end up being so relevant. It's not like Tobias gets captured again or something. Um, that would have they get Cassian instead, uh, <laughs> but they they actually split up briefly enough before the the big mission goes through, uh, long enough for Rachel, who's on this like power high power trip kind of thing, to um, spot a a news report happening on a TV about the old man that of course died in their their first outing. Uh, and this is where Cassie, who's with her, you know, kind of notices it too and gives her shit and is like, you got to tell the rest of the team, um, which is how they go into this mission, which uh, triggers a little spat between everybody. And it's it's definitely not a good way to start out a mission like this. 
Which is true. I mean, it's kind of dark for the series that they hadn't really caused too many human Collateral deaths damage. that were controllers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Civilian and deaths. And that could have been... I mean, that could have been a book all on its own, is in some fight, Rachel accidentally like kills somebody who wasn't a yerk and like has to deal with the rest of the book. I want that book. That would get yeah, me out of this Ra- book. Rachel's PTSD book. Give it to me. <laughs> but... Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's just a, uh, it's just weird. Um, that that's how they start this mission out, and uh, it's not that everybody like gives her shit for it or anything. They don't even say anything really about it. Um, they definitely don't like blame her, but sh- she takes their reactions as that of blame, um, and, and she gets super pissed about it. Um, I and- did like uh, I do want to just a, in the sea of negativity of us doing this right now i would like to point out that i kind of like other than he has some weird comment that i thought axe would absolutely never say towards the end of this book i can't even remember what it was but i just remember uh he said something like way too human or something but um i do like how axe reacts to most of the conversations in this book where he has his loyalty to his prince and he like begrudgingly follows Rachel. And then when she messes up, it's almost like he's like pitying her even while still following her orders. He like, doesn't look at her and he's just like, sure, fine, let's do this. I and d- like, I gives d- it his all. I thought he was just far too passive, just like the other characters in, in maybe I was reading into it, but I thought not acting more like I themselves th- and being more intelligent and careful. If the animals I are anything, they are careful. He definitely could have added more to the the strategic conversations and things like that. But I honestly thought like he was in a bad place because his prince wasn't there. And so he was going along with the group, but like he feels out of place without Jake. And then honestly, like after she kills that old man, he just like doesn't feel sorry for her, but he's like embarrassed by her. I don't know. Maybe I was reading into it too much, but that's what I got. Uh, well, either way, I want to read you a little little nugget here just because why not this is uh right before the mission where everybody's kind of like well now that you know somebody's dead maybe we should <laughs> pull out here they're, they're trying to 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 get out of doing this um and uh this is this is rachel's reasoning or, or just her reaction no no one says no to jake i challenged suddenly i'm leader so it's okay to be all rebellious and mutiny I don't think so. You chose me as leader. I got us through today, okay? Didn't I? Didn't I? Another weird silence. Did Jake have to deal with these weird silences? She's right, Tobias said. We chose her. Boom. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's a little, I don't know. It, it rubbed me the wrong way that these characters weren't acting intelligently. But this is the decision. And then once the actual mission starts, we get the info that, uh, Rachel apparently thought it wise for everybody in this last big hit job to go in in an unfamiliar polar bear morph. Yeah, they've barely used it. Um, It's just not... I I do like that it's kind of like showing her bias towards bear morphs. Like, no, everybody needs to go in strong. Without... But that's that's a good look at the difference between her and Jake is that um, Jake would see that their individual morphs that they're used to are stronger than just muscle and, uh, you know, size. 
Yeah, they've each got their own uh, distinctly useful purpose in battle. You know, it's not like... And that's the problem with this this instance here and this plan is that they're all in the same animal morph. And so they really all bring the same uh, qualities to the table here. And especially in a tight location like this community center, um, it doesn't really serve their purpose very well. So uh, as soon as they get in... Um, this mission doesn't go at all as they'd hoped. I mean, it's it's a big, uh, bloody battle where basically everybody's almost killed. Like, very nearly killed. Um, and, you know, it's like the mandatory, gory battle that's uh, somehow PG-13 enough to make it into these books that every book kind of has shoehorned in. Um, except this time, when things go bad and they really have to bail out... Uh, they they realize that Cassie didn't make it out. Yeah, and I I don't really know how. Um, there's two things with this I want to talk about. Um, first off, it's really weird that they're all on polar bear morph, and they lost count of how many of them there are, even in the middle of a fight. Uh, which the fight itself didn't make much sense because they shouldn't have gotten out of it. They were surrounded multiple times. Visitory stopped to morph, but then he morphed and let them go, and somehow they weren't surrounded. And then it's just the battle wasn't organized very well, and I don't, they really shouldn't have gotten out of it. And then, secondly, when they get out, what's the first thing they do when they realize they don't have Cassie and she's probably captured and she's about to get stuck in morph? Well, they, they regroup at the barn. Which, yeah, I'll give you that. It's travel time, (laughs) for sure. That's horrible. They could have gone, like, a mile away and been completely safe to, like, figure out a game plan. They go all the way back to the suburbs, past the suburbs, back into hill country where Cassie lives. Like, that's got to have been, like, 45 minutes to an hour of their time right there. No, I agree with you. It was a totally jarring cut. Um, I, I totally you know, flipping the page, going to the next chapter, expected it to pick right up where they're like, okay, we moved out of sight of the community center and regrouped, you know, near some shrubbery or something. Um, but no, they're, they're straight back to the barn. Um, and this is where Rachel and Marco, who again have been most of the, uh, source of conflict throughout this, this little group dysfunction that they're going through, just because Cassie and Axe, and Tobias especially, are all so very distant and passive with just allowing Rachel to call the shots. Um, I don't see why they didn't rely on more of a, I don't want to say democratic, but uh, uh, cooperative uh, strategy for when Jake's away. You know? Why wouldn't they just keep acting as if under Jake's orders? You know? I don't know. Yeah, Maybe I'm reading they, a little too much into it. Maybe they wanted to put way more emphasis on, no, the team needs a strict leader for some reason. Leaders are marketable to children. <laughs> yeah. What would have been interesting is if Jake did leave instruction, but he trusted Rachel with it. So like and he did like, hey, in case it. something comes up. <laughs> or she, What? And she ate oh, it. Oh, you think? Were you picturing it was like written down on a piece of paper? Yeah, yeah. He left paper instructions and was like, "Okay, no. these are the team." And then she like crumpled it up and threw it in the garbage and was like, "Huh, Jake left me in charge." <laughs> it's my turn now. I'd much um, rather no, no, no. read that book. I want to paint a scene down. for you. 
I want to paint a scene for you, okay? So Jake has an actual family discussion uh, of where he's going, uh, some dinner table scene, and they've got to go out of town. It's really important, and Tom gets all worried, and they reassure him, "No, Tom, we're not gonna. You don't have to throw a fit. We're gonna. You can stay home this time. That's fine." And then cut to the next day, whatever family trip they're going on uh, has to do with Rachel's family as well, because you know they're related. Makes sense. Rachel's there. Jake's you know, jumping in the back of the rented uh, long minivan or whatever that they're taking on their trip. And he turns back and he says, hey, Rachel, um, in case something happens, I want so, 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 and so to happen. And make sure you do this and make sure you do this and make sure you call me if something else happens. Like, just gives that, like, layout of, like, what they should do. And then he leaves. And then you have the whole book of Rachel lying about Jake's instructions because she was the only one who heard it. And convincing the other Animorphs that, oh, Jake wanted us to do it this way. And it's really her and her power seeking. That would have been interesting. You know, that's not even far off from what this book really accomplished as far as the kind of character that it establishes for Rachel. So here in this next scene, her and Marco finally get into it. And Marco finally has just cause to be pissed at Rachel for her dumb decisions and lack of, you know, foresight and and planning uh but you know he's just as freaking responsible because uh even though he was the only team member that was uh really trying to oppose rachel and bring logic and thought into it he still went around uh, went along with her dumb ideas um so he's kind of berating her and rachel just in in worst leader fashion goes i quit i resign too much pressure i'm leaving and storms out um, and then there's another kind of jarring cut where you expect, like, well, what's going on here? They're on a time crunch, but she's wasting time on this. Um, and Marco has to run outside and give her a quick pep talk, uh, a motivational speech. And, you know, it's actually kind of a doozy. I, I kind of want to read it, to be honest with you. Um, okay. He goes, uh, so this is after she just uh, stormed out and was like, I quit. Marco comes running back to her and... Um, <clears throat> Marco grabbed my arm. I jerked it away. He looked as angry as I was. Listen to me, you mall-crawling psycho. We have one hour and ten minutes to get Cassie out of the yerk pool. Now, I can come up with a clever plan. I can work all the angles. I can see the perfect solution. But all that takes time. We don't have time, Rachel. We don't have time for clever and subtle. We need reckless. We need impulsive. We need dangerous. We need out-of-your-mind, pure adrenaline, butt-kicking, total-out-there insanity. He stabbed his finger in my face. We could have used me back at the community center, but right now, we need you. We have an hour to save your best friend, Jake's girlfriend, and the entire human race. You got us into this, now get us out. <laughs> um, so that, that was kind of cool how he throws it in her face there, and, and I would say it's probably the best written character moment in this book. I'm going to go out there and Marco, lay that claim. Marco's Mar- a good hype man. Marco's pep talk. I imagine him slapping her in the face to calm her nerves before giving that big speech, by the way. (laughs) Unfortunately, his good writing moment that actually feels like Marco a little bit and uh, leads the plot along in a realistic way leads to one of the dumbest things written ever in the entire series. Just the worst idea of any idea that breaks the laws of physics and nature. That's funny. That's funny you you describe it like that because I had a different kind of thought about uh, this 
next scene. <laughs> so uh, after after inspiring her, so to speak, uh, Rachel uses her brainy parts finally and, and puts a little thought into maybe making a plan. And he kind of inquires to Tobias about like, all right, let's think about our, our possible Yerk pool entry locations. And they go through it. Tobias goes through it. And all the places are a little too like public or hidden, tucked away, whatever. But then Tobias is like, oh, yeah, and by the way, there's this shady new empty building, office building downtown I've been eyeing. Looks like a I think I saw the roof soda. open once or twice. <laughs> it's, a, it's got a yerky sort of vibe to it. Why don't we check that place out? Rachel's like, awesome. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to crash an airplane into that building. <laughs> now, to be fair, some readers might be uh, reading this portion and think, well, there's no way they could get into an airport, steal a private plane, and then fly it into a building without like jets and all these things. This is pre-9-11. You probably could pull this off pretty easily. Well, um, the way I understood it, I, I thought it was a very small private sort of airport because they mentioned, they go out of their way to mention that the airplane they were stealing, they were from a really, really rich person who like didn't deserve it or something. It's probably which a makes bad it person. right, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. makes it okay. But they go to great lengths to describe this airplane theft. Like it's a, you know, it's a chapter or two in this book. They, they get around some armed guards with Dobermans or whatever. And, uh, and, and, and like I said, they steal a plane uh, they literally dive bomb crash it straight into this suspected Yerkpool entrance building. Wait, real quick, I, I have to talk about I have to talk about the plane real quick. Oh, okay, not only is this a stupid idea, not only is it dumb that Axe. So so they they get away with flying the plane because Axe can figure out human technology super well. But there's yeah. there's a lot of things in a plane and flying a plane that have nothing to do with being technologically advanced. It's literally about knowing where humans place instruments and buttons and switches. Like, sure. if you don't know where those things are by heart, you can't fly the plane. But they, right. they excuse that away, which is dumb. Um, no, anyway, they, but they definitely get... go out of their way to make Axe seem more intelligent. Yeah, but it's not intelligence. It's, it's ignorance. It's totally... Two different things. Well, but anyway, it doesn't matter. To... Okay. It doesn't matter. Movie I could argue dumb, more right? on just, it. <laughs> just get on board. It's dumb. Uh, but anyway, but moving on. So then their idea makes zero sense and sounds like it was written by someone who has seen planes and movies in action scenes, but has never actually been on one or knows anything about them. Because their plan is to dive at a 90 degree angle, they say, straight at the top of this building. And then they'll open the doors... And everybody will get sucked out where they can morph to birds, and then the plane will go through the Yurk entrance, and then they'll fly in. What that yeah. doesn't take into account at all is G-forces. <laughs> like, it literally does not come into play at all, the fact that they are flying at a 90-degree angle, plummeting towards the Earth. No, I think... And they can... I, I understand its thinking, though. I, I think what it's trying to say is if they're going straight down, or the plane is going straight down, if they were to jump out or open the door they would get sucked up is is what they think no, no, no. but it's <laughs> stupid because because again this is why it's action movie bullcrap because the only reason you see a door open on a plane in a movie and everybody gets sucked out is because the cabin is pressurized sure. but they didn't they didn't have enough time they literally talk about the time frame here. They don't have enough time to reach an altitude where the pressure in the plane would be different than the pressure outside. So they wouldn't have a pressurized cabin. And therefore, when you open the door, it's going to be really windy. But the door is not going to suck you out. 
Yeah, but and man, that is a major plot point of this. <laughs> you're trying to add way too much scientific investigation no, no, no. into the, the this is, possibility of the, plot points. Of but these. listen, listen. Forget the pressurized cabin thing. I think that's really stupid and very obvious. But forget that completely. Just the idea that Rachel could move or reach her arm out or do the incredibly complicated thing she ends up doing in the book with yeah. the G forces of flying straight downwards towards the Earth is insane. And makes zero sense, and she would have died horribly. The point is, somebody, somewhere, in some meeting, wrote down, maybe Rachel crashes an airplane into the Earth pool. And they were like, that's in the book. That's in the book. I don't care how. Make it happen. And, uh, yeah, that's what we get. <laughs> it goes, they, they, they describe how, as soon as they're, you know, crashed into the building... Um, it's like a hollow tube that they just fall straight through into the Yerk Pool. And they're apparently right directly above the Yerk Pool. Like, honestly, worst place to to put, you know, a big hollow tube entrance. Um, and honestly, if this would have been... So if this would have been a scene where they fly, like, a small, like, Cessna airplane into an open... Like, if the roof had opened and they flew a plane and jumped out... Uh, like a little tiny plane, and it crashed down into it. That would have actually been kind of a cool scene. But the fact that this is a big private plane, and it actually has to crash through the roof to get in, like oh yeah, it would just it, be it a fireball shit, dude. And and I was starting to think about like they got sad about the death of one old man. How many people do you think died in this <laughs> avalanche of uh, debris and wreckage? And you have to assume. As big as the Yerk pool is, you have to assume, A, this killed thousands of Yerks in the pool itself. And then uh, any, like, so many, like, just hosts and host bodies, like, hanging out around the sides. Yeah, so... This, could, this <laughs> seems like it would, like, yeah, it's crazy. Imagine, imagine, you know, they didn't even have any way of knowing that. What if they brought the plane down straight on Cassie, who they were trying to rescue? Like, <laughs> this book could no, have no, ended is... really darkly. Like, Rachel yeah, actually does Cassie? get one of them killed. That'd be crazy, what everyone, dude. What if everybody? What if everyone in the plane died just from not being able to jump out the door fast enough, or maybe Marco jumps out and gets sucked into the engine or something? No. What uh, if? But, what if they killed off Cassie here, and then in the next book they had to replace Cassie with like Cassie's cousin or something that came into town and uh, uh, was, you know, replaces that function of, like, being the animal expert. He's, like, a Steve Irwin-esque character. (laughs) Yeah. That would have been really cool, but you would have never... They would have never been able to forgive Rachel. It wouldn't have been able to move forward with her. Yeah, it would have been way more interesting. She would have had to... Oh, that would be cool if she like Dude. left the Animorphs, and so we had this we had this first person's perspective of like her in another city while the Animorphs are going on missions and stuff. That I don't cool. I don't know about that, but man, where they lost out here is they really had an opportunity to like kill off main characters in the series um, because they could have killed off Cassie in this way, added a new Animorph to make up for her for like a couple books, and then killed off Rachel in a further book and then replaced her later. Like, I would have liked to see a more, uh, I don't want to say George R.R. Martin-inspired uh, series <laughs> where, where the main character, the team, is, like, changing over time. Um, but that might have added some depth and well-needed change that the series just needed at this point to move the plot would along. Have raised this, it would have raised the stakes and made you think that, you know, these missions could end. Because, you know, they, 
they do stop before killing one of the main characters multiple times. So yeah. you could have really had that happening where they were constantly like trying to recruit while trying to stay alive and like who can we trust to do this? Like David David could have been the first replacement for an animorph that died. And then they it went so badly, like maybe David kills another animorph, and then it starts this whole process of being incredibly careful about who they bring into the team, but they constantly have to be on the lookout for someone to help them. Yeah. Oh, that could have been awesome. There there were a that lot of lost cool opportunities, series. I would say, with just who they end up using the morphing technology uh, on and uh, what what changes to the team that represents. Um, it's yeah. crazy to me that they, they feel they ran out of story ideas. There's so many things like even what I said, like having an animorph have to move because of like Rachel deals with that in a book where her dad invites her to live with him in Boston or whatever. And uh, I think that would have been really interesting if one of them had been separated and they had oh, to be yeah, dude, because like, they're like just the lone, if they're kids. Yeah. The shadow operative, so to speak. I don't know. And Rachel, uh, Rachel actually would have been really good for that because she's so like brass and like on her own anyway with like how she fights and stuff it would have been great to have her in another city and find out the yurks are there too and she's like trying to call jake and like tell him about it but like do her own missions and maybe start recruiting people for like a separate animorphs team and they all die and she comes back to the original team oh dude yeah that's Whew. that's definitely one route that they missed out on going down is having like separate animorph teams in different cities once the uh invasion started to spread um they definitely wanted to focus on these core characters though throughout the whole series and that's why this we series feel like we're stuck in these kind of plot desert loops you know and this series might have taken those routes if the main authors had stayed on the series. You could have, we could have had a hundred, hundred and fifty Animorphs books, where it's this humongous sci-fi story. Ugh. Yeah, Multiple and I want to say, I, I think when they were writing wide. this, they didn't realize uh, what would have been interesting to examine at, at greater lengths. Um, they they were just taking shots in the dark here to see what you know really worked and what stuck. Um, and like you said, coming up with ideas um, that they feel like they've already exhausted. The, um, so it's unfortunate. The perfect example, they, like you said, yeah. The perfect example, I have to say. So, so they say they took a lot of like Star Trek ideas for the Animorphs, the main series. If they ever come back and do a sequel series, um, you should take ideas from like the. I don't know if you watched it. The the reimagined reimagined reboot of uh, Battlestar Galactica. Uh, did you ever watch that? Uh, a little bit, yeah. So yeah, okay. um, this is per- it, this is pertinent. Hold on, there's this is no, there's a lot of new sci-fi here. that they could borrow from. <laughs> but I, specifically, I want to use that series real quick because it's, it's interesting. I think, uh, but the new Battlestar Galactica is so good because over four seasons, it only ran for four seasons. Over four seasons, and this is somewhat spoilers for Battlestar Galactica. Uh, you had characters who started out the heroes, who eventually in the fourth season were literally pushed out an airlock because they were charged with treason and trying to co-opt the ship. You have characters who killed themselves when they found out like major disappointments about where they were doing. Uh, you had a whole season that was in uh, like a concentration camp because the Cylons decided to be good and live with humans, but they didn't know how to do anything but fascism. So they like kept everybody in concentration camps. And then you had main characters uh, doing like suicide bombings against the like. There's so many ways that you could start from one place, and the series tried to do it. 
and have the characters end up in a completely different place with them dying. And, you know, it's crazy to me that, um, that this series didn't do more things like that and have real evolutions of the characters. And like you said, character deaths and how dramatic that could be. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, wasted opportunities for ways that, uh, these plots could go, but, uh, here we are with another character, you know, kind of storming into the Yurk pool, much like Cassie did in a previous book. Um, and this time, uh, Rachel's an eagle morph because I guess that was the most logical one they could come up with for bailing out of the airplane at illogical <laughs> speeds, like you mentioned. And uh, mm-hmm. she manages to make her way over to Polar Bear Cassie and and break her free from her handlers, I guess. And it's like uh, the two of them against everybody, including Visitor 3 and Inspector Garatron shows up again. Good for them. And then... I feel like there's a there's a subplot here that they tried to shoehorn in. They really didn't get much time to shine. It's it's about the Garatron, uh, who I guess is scheming to become on the Council of Thirteen for some reason. They He's like about to, to get that a that promotion to give him some depth, I guess, to give him some They've, other reason to be there. <laughs> they mentioned it at the beginning of the book too. Did they mention that? Well, I, I don't know. They they really uh, make it about that here, and this is why I, I feel like they're just... This is the setup for this betrayal here, I guess, from Visor 3. Um, because they're, they're battling, and it's not looking good for Rachel and Cassie like it ever does. And, of course, Tobias comes flying in with uh, Cobra Marco, which, you know, that's cool. It's a cool callback to get Cobra Morph again. Um, always, always fun to see that, but... Uh, they they come in and bail the team out, and uh, the Garatron, um, after his, his cartoonish antics, he's foiled by uh, the Cobra's venom. Um, so that's that's all it takes to get rid of one of those guys. I guess that's yeah. why that morph wouldn't work. <laughs> if they defeat just, it, it's never a problem again in the series. It's strange, though, that um, Visitor 3 has has seen how damaging the Cobra morph can be. Uh, in the David trilogy, and just I don't understand why any of the Horkbajir or anyone there or the Garatron thinks that the Animorphs would make such a big deal about bringing in a small creature and dropping him off if there wasn't some danger there. Yeah, I mean, it seems like uh, they're they're going the route of trying to wrap this whole battle, what should be a big giant battle, huge event. Whenever they visit the Yurk Pool. Never a good time, always big uh, trouble, but more and more it seems like they've been able to get out of these scrippy scrapes pretty easy. Um, and case in point here, uh, the Garatron, who is duped into fighting them, by the way, by Visor 3, while he's twirling yeah. his mustache, he's like, mm, what's wrong? You're not strong enough to take the Andalite bandits. Mm. And Garatron falls for it. <laughs> and of course, you know, it leads to his demise. And Visor 3's like, oopsie, it seems as though you've died. <laughs> and then he maniacally <laughs> yeah. laughs as the team gets away because he just lets him go. Yeah, he absolutely lets them go. And even if you were using the Animorphs to defeat this uh, your current rival, there's no reason not to just go ahead and kill the Animorphs. <laughs> you know, like, they're right there. Let's go ahead and take them out real quick. 
hundred percent. Yeah. And he could have just said, you know, well, I guess the Garatron is a, a, a casualty of this fight, but look at it this way. I stopped the Andalite bandits. Ha ha ha. But he doesn't even have those bragging rights because he's a loser and he's a, a diminished threat at this point because of how long they've drug him out. But anyway, the wrap up of this book comes in kind of two parts. The first part is with Rachel finally having a little conclusion to this uh, old man's death that she feels she probably does feel guilty for it. I mean, she denies uh, having anything to do with it all throughout the book. Um, it's kind of what makes her character such a crappy person. But in the end here, she decides to go visit, uh, one of the old man's uh, nieces or something, a relative, uh, after the funeral. And she basically just says, I'm sorry, uh, for nothing in particular that he died, whatever, yeah. and leaves abruptly. Um, it wasn't the smoothest wrap up. It was probably close to the most realistic, just in how brief it was and, and not well thought through. Let's not go there that far. <laughs> I wouldn't use the term realistic with it, but... No, I it mean, made, like, this, it made this more logical sense. That's the best she could muster. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's true. And then, uh, you know, the best part, I guess, of this, this whole story is when Jake comes back. Yay, we get a little bit of Jake here in the end. And uh, he, he comes back, and he comes to see Rachel after having talked to the rest of the team, and, you know, he's he's pretty vague with what they told him um and and rachel feels like she's got to come clean how uh how she messed everything up and how disappointed she is in herself now and it almost seems like they make you want to think that she's had this like great learning experience and she's a changed person but it it doesn't really pull that off um instead it's like uh jake kind of is very comforting. He's very assuring. He's like, so, uh, you didn't get anyone killed. Uh, so you did a good job. <laughs> like how many Animorphs were there when you started? Same amount. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and, uh, I, I guess the wrap up here, the takeaway is that Rachel learns a valuable lesson that being a leader ain't so easy. I, I like some of the lines from Jake there at the end, but I do wish that, there had been some consequence for her complete off the rails insanity. Like just, just a scene of Jake saying like, I don't know if we can trust you for a little while. Like maybe you'll get back to that point, but for right now, I don't trust you. That would have been a great ending in the book. <laughs> I think even including a line where Jake is like, he locked eyes with me and he paused a moment and then said an airplane, Rachel, really? <laughs> like that have been that, that have, even been a little bit uh funnier i guess but you know jake is just very i think he was happy to have not been a leader for a little bit and have like his little vacation away from the team because he's like yeah whatever i'm not even gonna talk about what happened while i was away apparently you know cassie almost died or whatever but that's like that's a typical tuesday for us he is probably so used to you know his friends his teammates almost dying that at this point he's like well it's gonna happen and i mean at one point it'll be the end but until then we'll just keep rolling the dice <laughs> so that's that's the vibe i got from jake in this particular installment and that's the end of the book uh do you feel like you have anything more to add or do you want to dive into our reviews my friend i'd like to dive in the reviews i think uh, i think you nailed it okay well i'm here's what i'm gonna do dude 
I'm going to let you talk because I feel like I'm, I'm going to agree mostly with you. But, you know, I'll see what I have to add at the end and then we can give our, our own little numbers, even though I think we might both be unified on that front. We'll see. But commence, my friend. What did you think about the weakness? What's your review? I think it was um, incredibly generous of the author to go ahead and title the book and using its best description. Yeah, and what it is to this series. Exactly. That's <laughs> it's so on the nose. It is, uh, it is everything that I expected when we first got into the ghostwritten books. Just a completely off-base uh, presentation of these characters we've come to know and love, uh, creating them and, and twisting them into completely different people, um, especially Rachel. Rachel, this isn't Rachel. This is some evil Nazi version of Rachel from the past that the time matrix brought because the Elimus fell asleep and crack took control. You know, like it's like, it's such a fakey badly written version of her that it, it destroys all the character work they've put into her up to this point. Um, if that is if this, we were supposed to like Rachel, I guess they could be trying to make us not like her. If she was a protagonist of the series. Yeah, she was, well, she is. So, I take it as that. Um, it's just it's it's not a it's it's a book full of interesting ideas and concepts that maybe came from Kay Applegate, um, maybe didn't make it from this author. Uh, and some some well written scenes. Some of the action's pretty good. I'll, I'll give it that. But uh, how they get out of predicaments is is badly written. How the plot moves along is badly written. Uh, how it wraps up is just trash it's just not it's not a good book uh and i really i really try to find the good things in some of these books like the books that are disappointing even the atlantis book i thought was interesting in a couple different ways and did some cool things this is just just skip this one just blow right by it forget it ever happened um bad bad book um easily a one out of five summarized I don't, even have, I don't even have a good like pun. I can't even think of a good pun out of this. Book. You you think of that while I add to your thoughts because yes, I'm I'm right there with you. I agree. None of the characters felt right. Um, um, the the things that happen in this book are it's nothing we haven't seen before or needed to see. Um, and, and primarily, the biggest issue with this book, and now that we're into these kind of let's call them filler because they are filler books. They're not expanding the plot in any useful way. And in this book especially, they're not asking a question that anyone ever asked or cared to ask, which was, hey, what would it be like if Rachel was the leader for a little bit? Like, nobody cared. Nobody wanted to know. We know what Rachel's character is. Like we were saying, she's the goon of the team. And uh, you can make us, or you can you can endear her to us that way, um, the way that this book presents that uh, this character uh, totally makes her out to be very unsympathetic, power hungry. Uh, everything that we've we've come to learn that Rachel's not. Um, everybody acts bizarre, uh, and the book just kind of suffers from not having Jake there as a leader calling the shots. I mean, I would have loved to see a book where Jake's out of town and they just worked on their morphing technique. For, for a whole book. And then maybe at the end, like Visitor 3 found them where they were practicing and, and came in with a new battle morph that they 
uh, get their asses kicked by initially, but then because of what they studied while you know working on their thing, they they were able to overcome it. Whatever. Like, sorry, I don't I don't like to jump into your reviews, but you just gave me a great idea for a book. <laughs> Jake, goes, Jake goes out of town. Jake goes out of town. And they turn to Axe to help them train on their morphing ability. And he says, oh, I have been coming up with a training session you guys might like. And then he, like, somehow, like, brings out some Andalite device he created that actually, like, changes everything around them. She holograms. She holograms. (laughs) It turns into, like, Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where they're in this, like, horribly lethal like, crazy training scenario created by Axe, and it's, like, them versus Axe. Oh, man, that... I want that book. I would have even liked to see Tobias take over and try a, a leadership position, uh, being like, you know, their their eye in the sky sort of uh, uh, commander who moves them like pawns, you know, across a chessboard where he's yeah. like, directing them in fights from above. Uh, that would have been too. really cool. Like an Ender's Game style Tobias mm-hmm. book. <laughs> yep. um, but instead what we get is this mishmash of... Uh, a, a version of Rachel that nobody likes um, leading the team and doing an awful job at it. And you could summarize the entire book as Rachel does a bad job uh, as being leader. And that's really what this book presents. So yeah, like, like you said, I, I think this is a one out of five Garatrons. Um, it, it just, it doesn't add anything to the series overall. Skip it. Just yeah, skip it. Yeah, I came up with a rating. And you kind of took its uh, took the wind out of my sails, but I was gonna say um, uh, one out of five Inspector Gadgetrons. Oh, wacky, my friend. Well, mm-hmm. maybe next time you'll be a little bit more creative on the spot. Maybe <laughs> you just said Garatron. You just said the name of the alien. Yeah, well, you know what? How much thought went into the writing of this book is how much thought I put into my rating system on this one. Whoa! It was definitely a one, definitely a insert monster name here so anyway but looking ahead okay now that now that this is uh, done and out of the way i wasn't looking forward to this book really in the slightest and uh the next one the arrival uh i've read it and and you know i i have strong feelings about it i'm looking forward to it if uh my feelings from when i read it like 10 years ago are still valid today <laughs> it, it gauges it'll be a little bit more interesting because it'll add to the overall. I mean, this is the book where the Andalites are coming uh, uh, to to earth. Like they're, they're there. The, the Andalite shock team that's supposed to come in and save the day is here. And it's not what it, you know, not what they'd hoped it would be. Yeah. I'm looking forward to reading that. I'm going to read that quick so we can get into it. Um, Just want to point out real quick that in the back of the book, there is an advertisement for Everworld, uh, K Applegate's series after Animorphs. And they're already, at this point, you know, in book 37 of Animorphs, they've already written five books of Everworld. Oh, so yeah. So you can see where their priorities were. Hell yeah. Um, that and, you know, the, the good old Animorphs fan club that you can uh, win a cap on. <laughs> you think that's still valid? Yeah, totally. I'm sure they're still shipping out the Animorphs caps. Um, Yeah, so, you know, tune in next time for sure for Animorphs number 38, The Arrival. And that's going to be a good one. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about that one. You know, I didn't anticipate having so much fun talking about this one. But lo and behold, it's kind of fun to tear these things apart sometimes. And I don't think we do that very often. I think we we save that for the really bad ones. Uh, Hence this book. Sure. And and the uh, separation. 
Let's not forget. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, well, I've, I've really enjoyed talking about it. Um, looking forward to the next one. Please jump on iTunes. Check out our website. Leave us reviews. Uh, just anything that benefits the show or has more people talking about us. Always appreciate the new Patreons who jump on. Send us emails, Facebook messages, Twitter messages, whatever you want to do that reaches out to us so that we can uh, talk about what your thoughts and feelings are on the show live. Uh, But until next time, I'm Coleman. And I'm Mitchell saying thank you so much to all of our Patreon uh, subscribers. If you want to support the show, hit us up on Patreon and you will get an episode a little early, like a day or two. We'll see. Uh, Thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next time. Have a good one.